Welcome to Bina, KALW's program featuring creative voices from the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco. In this series, we bring you remarkable artists and thinkers who've come to speak at the JCCSF as part of our Arts and Ideas program. On this edition of Bina, our guest is comedian and actress Eliza Schlesinger. She's joined in conversation by Stephanie Singer. And now join Stephanie Singer at the JCCSF as she introduces Eliza Schlesinger. Eliza Schlesinger is here. An award-winning comedian, actor, writer, producer, and author, she's best known for her five Netflix stand-up specials, Unveiled, Elder Millennial, which she shot here, Confirmed Kills, Freezing Hot, and War Paint. Her sixth special, Hot Forever, is set to premiere next week. Eliza made the jump to the big screen in 2018 with roles opposite Mark Wahlberg and Instant Family and 2020's Spencer Confidential. And she wrote, produced, and starred in the 2021 Netflix film Good on Paper. Yeah which was based on her real-life dating horror story. (laughs) Her latest project is her new collection of personal essays, all things aside. (laughs) In it, she offers absolutely correct opinions on sexism, aging, and womanhood. She writes frankly about what it was like to have her body transformed by pregnancy and the joys um, of being a new mom. And she describes going through a miscarriage. I loved the book, and I'm grateful it provided an opportunity to have Eliza here on our stage. So without further delay, please join me in giving Eliza Schlesinger a warm JCCSF welcome. Thanks for coming out, you guys. <laughs> so you've been uh, on kind of a wild ride this year. I mean, you had a baby, um, <laughs> yeah. a new Netflix special you birthed, and um, a big international tour, and um, you're even on Celebrity Jeopardy. Um, and so I just wanted to ask you to start with, why, why did you write a book, and, and why now? I wrote a well, I guess it isn't now as much as, at the time, which was in COVID, and I had touring ripped away from me, as many of us had our favorite things or our jobs taken away from us, and I thought, I'm so lucky, I have a house, I don't, you know, I don't have to go to work tomorrow, I don't have to think about that, Um, what can I do now with this time? And I think there were two schools of thought during COVID, you know, and it was mostly this female thing of like, just rest, you should just rest just know that everyone else is resting. And I'm like, no, they're not. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have something ready when this world opens. And so, and if you did just rest, like, that's great. <laughs> so I just, I pitched this book. Um, I cobbled together two essays, which I then gave to my agent. And then we went to auction and they were like, great, we'll buy the book. I gave them the format of it, which you'll see when you read it. It's formatted in a special way. And they were like, now you've got to write the rest of it. And I was like, like <laughs> why can't it just be the two essays? 
And so I took my time, but you know, I had a baby during it. And so I wrote the book like before, during, and after. And so it's that constant checking in of like not wanting to write the baby book or the parent book, not wanting to be as myopic as being like, I had one baby and here's what I, I know everything about parenting. And wanting to make sure that I was, and I say this in the book, constantly checking in with myself so that in a year from now, two years from now, I will still agree with what I wrote at the time. Um, and that's tough to do when you're chemically changing, like week to week. And so I just kept it to things that are super universal. At the end, I do write a little bit about, less about the baby and more about society's commentary on women having babies and just all of that. So it is a book for everyone. Yeah, I loved I loved the book, and I loved that you kind of went there in in the end, um, yeah. and the, the you You'll know see. the social commentary, <laughs> um, and you know, and I think that um, you know women love you in part because you're so good at taking down stereotypical images and of women and social expectations projected onto women, um, and like you make it so that it's okay for uh, for us to be ourselves and um, not second rate because we're not fulfilling artificial expectations, you know. So I'm wondering, do you see a role in part as a truth teller? I think as a, as a stand-up, you have to be a truth teller, and people get very upset about that uh, if your truth hurts their feelings. Um, but at the end of the day, all you have, and I even talk about this in the book, all you have is your story and your authenticity, and no one can take it away from you. And I do think we're living in a society more and more that wants to ding you for everything that you're not and everything that you try to do. And, and I really believe, particularly in stand-up, but this translates to writing too, if it happened to you, it's yours. What, good or bad. And if it's your authentic experience, even if it rubs someone the wrong way or it offends them, like how dare anyone say that you can't talk about that? And I think we get a lot of that, you know, and, I, and at the beginning of the book, I talk about, I was so paranoid in writing this because we do live in a context-less society. And whatever you say, that soundbite is extrapolated, and then there's no context, and it's like, but look at that. And if the wrong person happens to pay attention to you on the wrong day, you get raked over the coals. And I just said, you know what? I don't ever think I'm so special that my thoughts are so unique that no one else is having them. I think what I think is what most people, most women think. Um, and so I just figured, if not me, who? Someone else is going to write this book. I'm just going to write it. I don't say anything like hyper-revolutionary. This is not a call to like eat your children. Um, I just, I don't mind being vulnerable, particularly if it helps other people feel a little bit better. So I'm just wondering, since the book was this is all Jim. partly written... <laughs> After the, the insurrection, mm -hmm. did that in part inform what you were writing about? Yeah, and like it, I talk about it in the book. There is a whole uh, part of a chapter, and it was just about that further amplified how far apart we are from one another and how after it happened, you know, even saying anything about your country, you, it can be misconstrued as, you know, you're a total turncoat, you're a heretic, you're too much of a patriot, you know, depending on who from the right or from the left is looking. And the truth is you really can't win with the internet, but so much of us, we're so attached to it. And the truth is, if you say something inflammatory, just post something else and people will, that will dissipate. I think of the online masses as like zombies. Like in zombie movies, 
if they know there's a warm body, it's like, and then they like go toward that. So don't let them know you have a beating heart. Uh, I go into it, but just how for any red blooded American that that happened and you, you so badly wanted to make it right the next day. I, I'd gone on like a trip. I turned my phone off and I talk about that thing where like, it's a big deal when you like unplug and you're like, when I come back online, everyone's going to want to know where I was. Nobody cared. Nobody. I think I didn't tell my publicist. He's like, where are you? I'm like, Oh, I took some me time. And, uh, January 6th happened. And then just as someone who does love their country, I just remember feeling this urge to like make it right and like get everyone to like be in love and be happy. And that helplessness that I think a lot of people are feeling lately as we watch whatever has become of this democracy and as we all strive for our rights, bodily autonomy, stuff like that. Sometimes you just feel so helpless and there is a power in making other people feel good and sometimes you can't even do that and so you feel even worse and the answer is just turn your phone off. Mm-hmm. Like just go outside for a minute. I saw a meme that was like, I asked my mom, what, like I was upset about something and the mom was like, have a banana and sit outside. That's <laughs> so true. <laughs> Unless it gets too hot, because global warming is real. Okay. Did you have the banana? I have a banana and sit outside every <laughs> once in a while. Did it help? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so talking about what's going on in the world and how that influences y- your comedy, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you feel now a, a certain social responsibility when you're doing a bit. Does that come into your comedy? When I'm doing stand-up? Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, nothing more than I want, no more than I can chew. You know, like, I'm not the arbiter of, of social rules, and I'm merely here to stand up for what I think is right, but I'm not the one you would come to for an education on civil rights history. You know, I will do my part, but, like, I'm not the one to do that. You know, everybody's got something that they stand for, um, or race relations, or anything that, I, that is not me. And so I think, not unlike a doctor... There, there should be this code of, like, do no harm as a stand-up. We're supposed to be making people feel good. You should always say what's in your heart. You don't want to beat your audience to death, right? And even people that agree with you, I think as very liberal people, sometimes, you know, you get up there, and if you browbeat your own, if you preach to your own choir too much, then they start to not want to hear it. So it's always about how do you say something authentic in a new way that represents what's in your heart and then make a dick joke once in a while? Like... <laughs> I think there's a way to present these things nobody wants to be preached to. Um, And I think the stakes are too high sometimes, particularly with something like uh, being pro-choice. Like, you can't... I want to die knowing that I said the right thing at the right time and I was on the right side of history. Some things are just too big. Um, But you can't die on every hill because then you'll completely lose your platform. So it's something that I wrestle with. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 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 I I think the ability to combat bigotry is sort of ingrained in comedy that could be a part of it. And I wonder if, if, you know, in some, in some ways it does cross into kind of activism. It can. It can. And I mean, it depends on who your fans are and what you're doing. And in many cases, for many stand-ups, they are the arbiters of that bigotry, you know, and it's become very cool. Like, I'll just say this. Sometimes I listen to podcasts with dudes and I'm like, you know, the subtext here is that you're all okay with rape, right? Like, you're listening to it, and I'm like, there's just no way you guys are on the right side of this. Um, and so it's activism in that I, you hopefully are saying something because it's my truth. I'm hopefully saying something that makes someone else feel good, maybe activates someone to be proactive about something. But 
in no way is it like, come on, sisters, get up there and shave your head. You know, it's much more, <laughs> I could never do it. Uh, it's much more nuanced than that, I guess. <laughs> but the, bo the book is funny. Like, this is all very, like, heavy. Yeah. And there's some serious moments in there, as with my stand-up, but, like, it's a fun read. <laughs> it's totally a fun read. I, I think of it as sort of funny, serious, or serious, funny. You serious. Know? Yeah. I mean, that's awful. <laughs> I hate that joke. So, I want to kind of go back. <laughs> you grew up in Dallas yeah. um, to a family that wasn't in show business. No. <laughs> so Don't what... tell my dad that, <laughs> He thinks. So, so what, what made you think that you could carve out a life in show business is coming from Dallas? What was it that attracted you and made you think, this is, this is my future? I just always thought everyone around me was dumb. And I don't know. I think a lot of women aren't allowed to say that. Uh, but I think part of being a comic is you're like, I think I'm the smartest one here. Even... <laughs> And not even like academically the smartest, but you're like, something's wrong here. Is anyone else seeing this? And, you know, I don't know that being a funny girl in the 90s was ever like a rewarded thing, particularly in the South. Although they seem like they're doing great now. <laughs> they seem to really like get women. <laughs> and I just knew I was going to be funny for a living. And I just knew, it's, I just, I don't know. I remember having like no outlets, so you cobbled together an education. I watched a lot of like In Living Color and Martin and like whatever else was on. And you just, when you have no real outlet, you kind of like the kids in the hall in the state, you just watch things and whatever wafts into your baleen creatively becomes your influence, which is why I sort of always resent the like, what women did you watch growing up? I'm like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. I never separated men from women. To me, no one had ever said women aren't funny. So you just watch them, and now you have to account for that. But funny is funny, and I just watched. Hmm. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about Jewish? I know that we're in JCC. <laughs> um, two Jewish women sitting on a, on a stage. It's it's the ten days of awe. We're you know here um, very holy time of year. Does um, everyone who here isn't Jewish raise your hand? Yeah. Oh my God, I love that. I yeah. love that you came. Yeah. So no one's. So we're the only two Jews. We're the only two Jews. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be honest, I was nervous because anti-Semitism is like the thing. And I was like, it is the JCC, but like all are welcome, which also sounds like I'm inviting you to a service, like all are welcome. <laughs> but San Francisco is nothing if not open-minded. I'm like, they'll come. So they don't know what the days of awe is. Long story boring. Uh, the Jewish New Year is Rosh Hashanah. And then you have like these 10 days to like say sorry and like atone for everything. And then on Yom Kippur, like allegedly like the book of next year is like written, which I don't know if I subscribe to that, but whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So you basically have this time to be like, I'm so sorry. I never called you back. Whatever. <laughs> I'm so sorry I didn't buy your book. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> and then Yom Kippur, which is like not the most fun holiday, but like probably the most important one. That's a great explanation. <laughs> it's not. No, I mean it. <laughs> I, I, I had a, a boyfriend, I want to give credit where credit's due, forever ago, who was Catholic, Italian Catholic, and he was like, what if we have kids? What are you going to do about religion? I'm like, I guess they can pick. He's like, they're not going to pick Judaism. Who would? He's like, oh, you can go with daddy and the chocolate rabbits and the bunnies, or you can starve yourself for a day with mommy. <laughs> I'm like, that's totally fair. <laughs> As, and this Jew would love an Easter basket. <laughs> so, 
So, so um, how, how Jewish were you growing up? Like, obviously, you, you have, you, you, you're knowledgeable. Or were you, did your family do the holidays? Like, on a scale of one to, like, fiddler on the roof? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we did. I had a bat mitzvah. I had a bat mitzvah. I had a confirmation. Um, took a trip to Israel when I was that's 16. What? The confirmation? Yeah. That, that's a tell. That's a tell of what? That you were, that you, that that you were into it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I kind of just did it. I just didn't really, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just did it, and then, but it's not like we, like, had, like, we weren't kosher. I think a lot of people think all Jews are kosher. I had, I had ham this morning. <laughs> and I'd have it again. Um, and we didn't do, like, Shabbat or anything. Like, it's, that's, that's annoying. Um, sorry. It is. And I work on Fridays. And that's it. And then as you get older... Religion is not something you think about, you know, in your 20s, and you just kind of are. Judaism is a little bit different than other religions because it is a culture and a heritage and a religion, and it informs so much. And especially as of late, it's not about practicing Judaism because you just are a Jew or you're not. Um, But with the spread of anti-Semitism, I'm just going to say this, you know, I believe Black Lives Matter, and I rally against Asian hate and trans lives matter and all that that stuff that, that is real. And this is not saying those people in particular, but when it comes to anti-Semitism, I don't see a lot of people standing up for Jews, and a big part of being a Jew is standing up for other people. And I don't think people can can separate their feelings about Israel, a country almost no one's been to, that has nothing to do with Jews here. And I think people use it as a gateway drug for anti-Semitism. And so it's really hurtful because... Not that long ago, we were loaded onto boxcars and 60 million of us were exterminated. Six million, excuse me. That's the other number's huge. Uh, Like overnight. So I think about those things and it is a touchstone in terms of sympathizing with other people. Um, So be cool to Jews. (laughs) You know? Thank you. Are there there ever jokes that you write that you then want to take back? Does that ever happen? Are, Are there taboo subjects? Like you mentioned the Holocaust, and, I, and it made me oh. think about Holocaust jokes, and that seems to be something that is a line for, for a lot of... Everybody has their line, and look, you are not an artist unless you have said things that you kind of later look back, you're like, oof, shouldn't have said that. Whoops. And I think that shows an evolution. I think it's weird if you're like, everything I've ever said has been true and perfect, mm-hmm. as am I. Uh, and there are personal, you know... Everybody is fine to laugh at everyone else and make fun of everyone else. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't love an oven joke. But by that same note, like, I don't like a trans joke. For some reason, those have never, like, it never, I don't see things through that lens. I'm not saying there aren't hilarious trans jokes out there. But you have to always look at the intention. And I'm like, is this elevating? Is this coming from a place of love and understanding? Like, is it us laughing together? Or is this a thing that Dave Chappelle said and now, like, you want to get your shot in? So you can do your jokes, but did you make fun of yourself first? And did everybody feel okay at the end of this, or was this mean? You know? Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that, that line is becoming blurrier and blurrier. Um, the meanness. Yeah, but at the end of the day, is it funny? If you've got a dope Holocaust joke, like, I would love to hear it. <laughs> like, if, 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 the, if the tickets sell, like, there's nothing you can say about it. So it's not about suppressing speech. It is about just understanding intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think there's a long, rich history of, of Jews, um, you know, making fun of anti-Semitism. 
and t- turning the anti-Semitism kind of on its head to you know, empower them. I don't think I even talk about being Jewish in the book, now that I'm thinking about it. I'm, ju- I'm just thinking about it because I, I often get asked, do, does Judaism come up in the act? And I guess the answer is no, but I don't know. I think it's great if people lead with it, but it's also, I mean, if you're an Asian comic, you want to get your few Asian jokes in there, but then it's like, well, what are you beyond what you are? And so if, it's all, if you always lead with your body type or your color or your religion, and that's great for your late night set because people don't know who you are, but after that five minutes, what else do you have? And, and I think that's a body of work, you know? You're listening to comedian and actress Eliza Schlesinger, whose new book of essays is All Things Aside. She's joined in conversation by Stephanie Singer and Bina, a series featuring creative voices from the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco. Bina is also available as a podcast, and you can find it at kalw.org. I mean, it's, it seems like it's a difficult balance, though, between, you know, you want to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I you're do. supposed to be honest, right? You do, yeah. The honesty is a big piece of it. And tell the truth um, and not really worry about giving offense, you know? But right. you say things sometimes that can hurt people's feelings. So, you know, you run that risk whenever you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is that, can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. Like what that, with your work and, and your sense of how you, how that is now with, that balance yeah i mean i can tell you in my new special which is out october 11th the same day as the book but you already have the book i have a very and i don't know if anyone here has seen it i'm trying to think um i'm or, or no i'm just trying to think if i if i've done a show i think i did one in oakland and i may have said this joke but yes uh i have a whole it's not a joke but i have this run about how easy it is for a guy to get a girl and how imbalanced it is. And I basically say, because I do believe, I do believe a part of my mission in stand-up, as it has become clear to me, is to fight the darkness out there with some light and to give girls a place. This is not about standing here and being like, kick-ass girl bosses, like diva queen, sign up for my MLM. This is about... <laughs> Making sure that you feel good in the skin you're in, the way you're standing, even if we don't look alike, and just like not taking any. You don't have to be a ball buster. This is not about anything other. This is not about perception. This is about making sure you feel rock solid. And I look at the things that are out there the podcasts and the misinformation and the anger toward women. And I talk about this in my stand up that there is an anger toward women. You see it with the legislation that's being passed and it's just this sort of ethos. And so I. I say this and I know it's mean, but I don't think it's wrong. And I'm basically like, if you are not having sex and you are a guy and I'm not talking a dry spell, we're not talking you're shy, we're not talking girls make you nervous, we are talking the types of men that do mass shootings, that write these manifestos. And this has happened in more than one case. I'm saying that is nature's way of saying you should not be having sex because there's something wrong with you and there should be no more of you. And that's just evolution. And so it's hard to swallow that. And, and guys are like, I don't know if I like that. And my whole thing is like, come with us and use your skills and, and get a girl because the odds are in your favor. Ever in your favor. <laughs> and I think that's hard to hear from a girl because it sounds so angry, but I do think it's worth saying, you know, women need other women to stand up for them and just be like, I'm not afraid of you. I don't care if you find me. I'm doing this for her. 
And it's not like a martyr thing. It's just, it's like enough is enough. And so I only offer my podcast and the book and the stand-up as a place where like you can come to feel kind of good. Maybe safe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. That's important. The book is funny. (laughs) I never get a chance to like be in conversation because there always has to be punchlines because I'm always standing. But like it's a really, I wrote a book that I wanted to read. I read a bunch of like Samantha Irby uh, essays before I wrote this. And I, um, Eric Gennetti or or Gary Gennetti, the guy that, Gary, thank you. I wrote his, I read his book of essays and I was just like, that's what I want. Like a collection of fun essays that are personal and from my perspective. So I basically just wrote the book that I wanted to read and it's, it's a lot of fun. I don't (laughs) want this to, it's definitely (laughs) like, even I'm hearing myself and I'm like, take it easy. (laughs) Maybe less coffee, maybe less gin. Um, but I wanted to um, just rewind for a second yeah. and, and just ask you a little bit about motherhood and stand-up. And um, have you found that your comedy's changed since having a baby? Believe it or not, I do feel softer. I do. I, the best way I can say it is, I mean, I don't know, if whoever here has a baby, you can relate to this. Because uh, it changes you chemically. And you see now why your mom sends you jpegs of like docs and puppies and you see why your mom has like dorky stuff because you become that like i looked i like i a framed picture of a squirrel in a hat and i'm like we have to have this like <laughs> what and i remember we were watching inglorious bastards as you do after you have a baby and <laughs> this is one part where this nazi gets his head bashed in and i actually turned to my husband and went oh he has a mother there's a softening like you still want to say important things but like you tend to look at people like everyone here has a mother everyone here has someone who loves them and I mean that all goes out the window when you're in line at TSA but like (laughs) or you're online but there's um your heart's a little fuller I guess not that if you don't have kids it can't be full but this it's a chemical reshaping which is sometimes very weird well, I think we're going to open it up to questions from the audience. Hi, Eliza. My name is uh, Amy Huang. Hi. Uh, as a person who does creative work for a living, how do you cope with the pressure of having to constantly be creative? Um, oh, yeah. That's my question. I have a, also a small request because there are a lot of female comedians. I used to love them then. Uh, they inject stuff in their face, and when I look at their face, yeah. they, they look oh, no. weird, so I hope you never do that. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I, you're only thinking of one comic in particular, and I get, I don't know. Um, I, will say, I will start by saying, I don't think anyone, I have not done any, full disclosure, I've done no injectable anything. Uh, I don't think anyone sets out to look weird. I think it becomes you don't see it or you don't have good people around you or the like I don't think anyone because I do agree as you get older especially in Hollywood it's like okay do you want to look old or do you want to look weird (laughs) we're like I'll go weird (laughs) I'll go weird that way no one knows uh how do you cope with being creative I actually don't feel a pressure to do that because I don't think I'm so important that anyone's like where is it you know you need to have this like the book nobody had asked for it (laughs) it's true uh of course your fans would like love a special but it's not 
I, we're artists. I'm an artist at the end of the day. And so I'm, I never forget that like, I can go months without writing a joke. Things just sort of creep out. And I have faith in that it will. And I'm also okay with periods of intake. Like I did a whole month in Europe. I don't know that I wrote any jokes that I took home with me. Cause I think just to be a person on this planet, you have to take it and take it in and it comes out eventually. You never stop being funny. You never stop being creative. And so I don't think of it as a pressure, I guess. Um, because a pressure would suggest that someone's asking for the art. <laughs> so I guess that's the answer, if I'm being honest. Hi, I was wondering, you've talked a little bit about um, seeing things through the comedian's lens and so on. And I'm wondering, if, are you constantly deconstructing things when you're, when you're you know, just existing and, and looking for that comedic moment? Or how do you actually go through, do you actually think about something after it's happened and say, oh, I see the comedy bit in that? I think it's all of it. And it's not like you don't turn it off. Excuse me. Um, and it'll just be like a conversation and I'll just be like, but do I, I, you know, I'll bring up the way that I see it. It's the lens through which I look at stuff and I'll be like, that's interesting. I got to write that down. In fact, I could read you one. This might go poorly. I'm trying to, cause I'm trying to think of one that I've had recently. Uh, it was about postpartum hair. Hmm. Oh, yeah, it's just this constant, like, I don't know if, if you'll like this one, but it's also not a fully baked joke. Uh, but it's about whenever you see women on Instagram who look, like, fully done up, which is fine, um, and they always look like like Orange County housewives, and it's always like, use discount code here, you know? In their bio, it always says, God first. And I always think that's bizarre, to be like fully done up, like tits to high heavens. And you're just, they're always posing. Like everyone's always like, look how thin and fertile I am. Like that's the subtext <laughs> of everything we do. And I always look at like, what's the subtext? I'm constantly looking at subtext. So this idea you're dressed up and your husband's a piece of shit, and you can tell these are bad people. And they're just like, God first. I just, I'm like, what is that? Like, what is that? That is so unholy about your life that you need to let me know you're putting God first. It just, feels incongruous. So I am constantly thinking about little things. And then it's about how do you take that and write it so that everyone laughs the next time I say it, not just the six people that got uncomfortable <laughs> when I brought it up. And that's what, uh, that's what workouts are for <laughs> at home. So yeah. Hi, Liza. Um, I'm curious how Ask Eliza Anything or just you're super connected to your fans, um, if how that's influenced your two books. Like if anyone's given you random ideas or too many wedding questions came up. Oh my God, you're so funny. I was one of them. I'm so sorry. No, don't be sorry. Which one was yours? Do you remember? Um, how do I keep my parents from inviting people to my wedding? Oh my gosh. So I have a podcast, which is shocking. Oh, thank you. I know it's weird that a comic has a podcast. Uh, and in the podcast, people just write in, just for anyone who doesn't, they write in their questions and, and I give them the advice. Um, I don't know that it informed this, but I will say there is this thing, like when you are on social media or you do a podcast, I always feel like, I'm like, is anybody hearing this? Because you are alone when you do it. You are alone when you write and you're alone on stage and you're alone when you're on your social media. And it is nice, like touchstones like that. It constantly people being like, hey, that meant something. I heard that. It actually means the world to me because you always feel like you're not making a difference or impacting people. And I'm not saying that I'm like saving lives, but so it's less specific and more like spiritually overall, just being reminded like, oh, you're not screaming into a void. Like people are hearing it. 
A lot of people in Canada are hearing it, apparently. <laughs> Turns out. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How oh, are you? good. One of the things I love about you is your oh, thank um, you. brutal honesty about, you know, being a hit, rising other women up. And you have a voice for that and you have a stage for that. I'm wondering if there's any um, particular, you know, I always have a dream. I'm like, wouldn't it be great if Eliza on tour just threw out plan B to everybody in Texas and whatever? Oh, wouldn't it be great if Eliza went to jail? <laughs> is there any organization that you kind of align yourself with that is doing work for women? Uh, that's a great question. And I have done a bunch of pro, I almost said pro-life, pro-choice, uh, fundraisers, abortion access funds. We did a charity and I made sure the money went to them. I've done stuff for Planned Parenthood. So it isn't like we have a dialogue. It's more like, here's the link. Here's where the money's going for this. Tonight I was on Celebrity Jeopardy and I played for cystic fibrosis. Like there's, there's no bad charity, unless it's a bad charity. Um, and so, and that, or just, you know, like with what's going on in Iran, like trying to, I said that like George Bush, Iran, trying to amplify voices where, where you can make a difference versus every single day, you know, trying to be exact and specific in what I care about, hopefully getting other people to care about it. Um, and I've retweeted like Bethany Frankel was like very boots on the ground during Ukraine. So I put up her charity. I think sometimes, you know, it's better to support someone else versus like, give me the money and I'll go do it. Like, I don't have a 501 c like whatever. So that's my answer. It takes all types. Yeah. Eliza. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Uh, quick question. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on um, good on paper? Okay. <laughs> and did, did you date a guy who told you he went to Yale? Did you see the movie? Loved it. Oh, my God. Yeah, that <laughs> happened. Really? And was it Yale? Because there was a lot of Yale, 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 Yale. Yes. <laughs> I am not so creative as to come up with another college. Uh, it was Yale. That story is... That is a movie, I say it's a true story based on a lie. And almost everything, almost everything in that movie happened to me. Uh, I like to think that movie like broke the ice and then we got like Tinder Swindler and like all these things, but that really happened. We did not kidnap him in real life. There was no court scene. The person just like slithered away. But almost everything up until then was 100% true. That's okay. I mean, I got like a number one movie for like two weeks on Netflix out of it. So... <laughs> It was cool. But yeah, I mean, it can happen to you. That's all I got to say. I think, I think, yeah, we're aware now. Hi. Hi, this is Katie. I've always thought it would be super cool to be a stand-up comedian. I'm curious, like, how you wrote your first set and what was the first time, like, doing stand-up comedy like? Oh, my God. Um, um, it's, a, it's not an answer that's going to be helpful to you, but I will give it to you. Uh, I had done a one-man show in college, which I like cringe saying that. Um, and so I took some of those jokes, and I moved to L.A., and I got booked on a show. And so I took a couple of those jokes, and I just said them. Like, one of them was a herpes joke. Like, that's how far we've come. <laughs> which is, like, not a joke you would even make now, but, like, at the time, like, hilarious. And uh, one was about traffic. One was about pizza. And so I just cobbled it together. You're not going to be given more than like five to seven minutes. You don't need like a huge set. Nobody in their right mind would give an open micer more than that because that would be awful for everyone. And so, yeah, I did that. And I did it at a bar that doesn't exist anymore, above a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore, uh, for friends that I don't have anymore. 
And then I just kept getting asked back. And so it just went, but if you're going to start, just start. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Just get up there. Yeah. Hi, Eliza. Hi. My name's Allison. Um, I've, I'm a logistics person, and I have been an obsessive of your Instagram account for a long time now. Oh. And, and so, and it started out, you, you're on tour, you get a lot of stuff. Like, you get a lot of stuff. I do. And, and you post it all, and I was in every one, and now it's just a, like, wow, it's so much stuff. Where's Eliza again? And I, you what do you do with it? Okay. What do you save space, right? What, what do I do, you do with it? Here's what I do with it. Um, so I get gifted a lot of things, a lot of candy and I love Sour Patch Kids, but like one can only eat so much. So I do, and nothing gets thrown away because I really respect that people spend time and money to give me these things. So I usually end up giving the candy away to the house staff you know, I'll open like a bag of it. I'll eat it, but I make sure somebody gets it. Um, if it's something I, I read every card, I read every letter. I stay up till like two in the morning. Cause if you post it the next day, it's kind of like the energy has gone. Um, I give away a lot of stuff. If it's like a shirt or something that I know I won't wear, um, I'll give it to someone. I'll give it to my tour manager. Or if it's like a baby product that I, I just know she can't have, I will give it to someone else that has a baby. Or if it's a dog thing that she like is secretly too big for, <laughs> Uh, I'll give it to another dog. So everything finds a home or I'll give it as a gift to like hotel staff. People love it. If you're checking out at like five in the morning at like from a courtyard merit in like Joliet, Illinois, and you're like, Hey, do you want an eight pound bag of candy and cookies? Like they do. (laughs) So I try to enjoy as much as I can. That's the answer. None of it. I don't take it lightly, I guess. And sometimes we ship at home. If it's like after like a big run, I will ship home a box, but yeah. I don't have, like, a private plane that I, like, load up. Hi, Eliza. Uh, Taylor here. Okay. Okay. Circling back to your film on Netflix, how much was... Okay, how much PTSD and how was the creative process going through writing that and reenacting it for you? Oh, my God. That's a great question. Uh, The PTSD, I... I remember it happened. When I found out... Like, it was, like, in stages you you find out about the lies. I remember coming home from finding out the bulk of the lies and I fell asleep, I swear for like 13 hours. Like it was like blunt force trauma to the soul and then trying to process it because you have no sounding board. It's not like he cheated on me, which every song is written about that and this happens. This was like completely unrelatable at the time. And I just remember making a choice, which was I'm going to be really selfish and take all the time I want and be very honest with any guy that I date that like that was really awful. I don't know how to process that. And, um, I made a decision that I wasn't going to pay that pain forward. And I know that sounds like a lie. Like that sounds like a self-help, like, and I decided then and there to breathe through it. But that person has been hurt in their life. And he like actively went out and decided to be awful. And so I was just like, I will do what he can't do. And I will be transparent. And the two guys that I dated, I just, I have very clear memories of being like, I can't be your girlfriend now. Like I am just And they were super patient about it. You know, if you're honest, people tend to like you even more. Um, And so I just worked through it until I felt better. And I also knew that that was a freak thing that could never be repeated again. Like it was so specifically weird. Um, And then I started writing about it as I do with other things, you know. uh, And I started writing about it and I truly, 
if you are in entertainment, if you are an actor, if you're anything that has like a high level of rejection, having your pet, like having a pet project that you can come home to uh, on the nights that you don't have a date, on the days that you don't get that call back, on the weeks where your agent isn't calling you, that like little secret I had of like, okay, that's fine. Like I didn't get that role in that movie. That's fine. But I have this script that I just got to chip away at after gigs and hotel rooms at home on a Saturday night when I had no plans. So having that purpose and giving myself something to do, and this book also was that, you know, it's those, it's about the days where nobody is asking for something. What are you doing with your time? And I'm a big fan of being productive. And so that's the answer. I just wrote until somebody agreed to make it. This is Bina, KALW series featuring artists and thinkers who've spoken at the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco. Today's guest is comedian and actress Eliza Schlesinger, whose new book of essays is All Things Aside. She's joined in conversation by Stephanie Singer. Bina is also available as a podcast, and you can find it at KALW.org. Hi, Liza. Um, Kenny here, um, also former Texan, escaped California. We've seen you in, in movies, stand-up, podcasts. We just learned you're, you had a one-man show before, one-woman show. Um, and I was wondering if there's any other forms of uh, medium that you're interested in exploring that you haven't yet. Yeah, I've never had my own uh, TV show. I, I've, had, I've come close to it. I had a digital show on ABC, but I, we're working on that now, and it's a gnarly process filled with literally 100% rejection. And so just trying to do that. I would love a late night show. Um, maybe even do like another, thank you. It's like theatrical show. It's really, you know, you set these goals for yourself, but then it's like, where do things take you? And do you lean into that? And so what I always say is while I do want those things, like it's always about getting to express yourself on bigger and better stages. Like this is super cool to me because it's a little bit different from stand up. I get to sit I get to wear, like, trousers, so I just want to keep evolving, I guess. But I do want those things. So that's, yeah. Hi. So I am a psychologist, but I just started this intense acting program and want to be an actor, even though I'm 37, and it's kind of late. No. I've booked, like, two things ever, and I'm 39, so it's, oh. you're fine. Oh, that's encouraging. You yeah. look good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, She's like, I'm doing great. So I've noticed that I'm like the worst one in my acting class. I thought it would come naturally and I'm feeling discouraged. Were you naturally talented when you started? I don't, I don't know that I ever started. Like I literally, like I've booked Spencer Confidential by the grace of God. And the other thing I wrote for myself. So, you know, writing for yourself, but it's okay if you're not a writer I don't know. And by the way, I'm sure there are plenty of tapes out there over the years of me like auditioning for something. I think it's got to be the right project and you feel it. I read for stuff all the time where I'm like, we all know I'm not getting this Mm. and I hate it. (laughs) So how did you first even like get an agent or like do anything? Well, I have an, I mean, just from being a standup, you have all these things and then they submit you, you know, for me, I always look at the at bats. Like, I don't book a lot of stuff, but I get a lot of the auditions. Mm -hmm. And if you're getting the auditions, that means 
casting directors like you enough that they they keep showing you to producers if they keep calling you back. So I'll probably just feel really good about that <laughs> forever <laughs> while I don't book anything. Amazing. Thank you. Truth. It's a grind. So good mm-hmm. luck. Lots of rejection. Yes. It's, right. Yeah. Love it. Learn to love it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so something I've been curious about is you said that this book kind of came out of not having the avenue of your tours. Mm-hmm. So you were like, okay, I'm going to do something productive. Um, what do you keep for yourself? And now that you're a mom, what are you thinking about keeping even other things to yourself that are not necessarily for an outward audience? What do you mean by keep? I, re- I want to answer that. I'm just trying to... So you, you wrote this book, right? And you wrote these essays. And I'm sure there are some essays that were left behind yeah. and left out of the book. Um, you also could have just written the whole thing and not produced it for anybody. Right. Right. So like, are there creative things that you have and you have produced that are not for anybody else? Or is the thing you're chasing how it's going to be perceived and how it's going to be consumed? Um. I was gonna, I was, the way I was going to say it sounds tacky, but like it's all for sale. But what is for sale? Like if you're like, we want you to do a one man show, I'd be like, great, I'm going to write that. If you were like, we need another, like I have all of these things in me, but you only show people what you want them to see. That's not like I have like some evil dragon I'm hiding, but I, I think especially as a woman, like there's a lot out there. There are certain things I don't share, certain personal things. I think my baby is very sacred. Like, I don't show her face. Um, And things about her, granted, I'm not exhausted by her yet. She is eight months old, and I have help. So I'm not, like, a single mom who, like, needs that outlet. And I respect that everybody has the way that they have to um, express themselves. But she's very sacred to me. Like, she is my grace. And I don't want anyone to ever think, like, we can joke about her. Um, and I feel that way about my husband because I think he's better than me and I think he's the better part of me and that's, our marriage is very special to me and that's, so I'm never going to be on stage like my husband's such an idiot, like, and that's okay if that is the relationship you have, but I would never twist it to be something that's just more palatable. So those two things, I think the kindness with which we treat each other and her being that little light, at least for now. I think those are the things I keep to myself. (laughs) We'll see. Hi, Eliza. So um, you already said that um, you're a little bit softer and things have changed since having your daughter. How do you see your goals after having your daughter now that you're continuing a tour, but you'll have a Netflix coming and you know special coming out do you see yourself touring as much do you know do you see a lot of that changing yeah it's um like in your perfect world you get to hang out with her all day every day which actually gets kind of boring after like 45 minutes I'm not gonna lie uh but she's this incredible thing and I've never felt an ache like I do being away from her uh I stare at videos of her I look at pictures of her I think about her And, uh, but you can't stop. Like we have things we need and I am the one that buys them and I love my job and I love creating that. And I don't know that I would be whole without that. Um, but it is something that I think about in the way that we're touring next year. We're going to just do a, I'm going to take the spring, not off. I'll do a couple gigs, but like I tour year round and I just found out most comics don't do that. Um, and so we'll do like a big fall tour and I think it will be about, uh, 
quantity, I'm sorry, quality over quantity and just doing, you don't need to know the numbers or anything, but just doing uh, those arena gigs, those huge theaters and, you know, you pick up an improv here and there, but you really do just have to decide how you're going to live your life and carve it out for her. And so allowing space, but like this today kicks off a book tour and it's a two week tour combined with some stand up, and that's going to be very hard to not have her. So it's something that I think about and I'm sure that there will be more decisions to be made, but I didn't know I could miss, I never missed anyone before. Even my husband who I love dearly, like I'm so used to leaving and having to leave her is very difficult. I don't want to take her on the road because she's just a little baby and she has her schedule and that's important. Like I feel very good knowing that she's like warm and safe, but it is hard. It is gut-wrenching. Hi, Eliza. I'm Caroline. Hi, Caroline. You care a lot about sustainability, our planet, animals. Can you share more with us about how you live in line with those values? And does it get harder or easier as your celebrity rises? Oh, man. Well, I think sustainability is such a, a, a weird word because you're so dinged for what you do and don't do. Like, okay, I used a plastic straw. It's like, well, then, but you put gas in your car, but you have an electric car. Well, electric car. So, I mean, the truth is it is major corporations that have to make major changes because I meet uh, any of us not using straws. Of course, it's great, but that's not, that's not what's doing it. Um, so it's little, like we live in California. I'm sorry, we're in California now. We live in LA where there's no water. Uh, so there's little things like trying to recycle water or even not having the, I always want to like make a video about this, but I'm always like, is this annoying? Not having the water running. We started composting. You know, I try to do reusable as much as I can. Sometimes it is more expensive and that's the, the thing they pass on to the consumer. Like it is a privilege to get to live that way. And most eco-friendly products, most eco-friendly products are terrible. It's like, do you want your clothes to smell like kind of okay? <laughs> then use this laundry sheet. You know, and so you buy, like, I have a, a car that runs that's plug-in, but, like, is that necessarily better? So you're always trying to do the right thing. We don't eat a ton of meat, but I don't know that being a vegetarian is the best way. So the question is, what part of the environment do you want to hurt today? And we just, we just try. That's, the, that's all we do is we try to reuse, reduce. I don't buy a ton of things, you know, like these shoes will go back to the stylist. I do get to keep the pants. Um... And uh, I guess that's the answer. We took out half of our lawn in the back. So little things like that. And sharing it with people, but you don't want to be too preachy because if I said that, the next thing would be like, but I saw that you, you know, drank from that plastic thing. Or you like the other day I had a plastic coffee cup and someone's like, why don't you use a reusable one? I'm like, in COVID and they won't let us. Like they stopped doing that. And so maybe I should just stop checking social media. So it's tough. It just really, ha like, at the end of the day, like, do I feel good about the choices? And it's as good as, I guess, as we can feel. So that's, I guess that's my answer. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Um, congratulations on the baby. But as a female comedian, do you kind of get a little angsty about being asked about how does motherhood interfere with career and stuff and the male comedian's like gloss it over aren't asked does that oh. ever like grind on you um you know i guess it's just something that women have to contend with that men don't and that is the lens that we look at gender through you know 
oh my God, you're a guy, you stayed home with a baby, you're a saint. You know, this is, this has to do with perception about gender roles that is changing. My bigger thing that irks me is the like, the gendering of comedy and like the, are women funny? What women do you look up to? Are you helping other women as if all things are equal? You look up to people who are funny. You want to help people who are funny. I don't choose it based on gender. Um, and so I think it is a fair question. I actually, to be honest, I thought I was going to hate the, like, how do you balance it all? But the more I miss my baby, the more I realize like, oh, this is what women were talking about. And I love that education because the more you evolve as a woman, the more you start to understand from a humble place, like, oh, this is what the elders were saying. This is what my mother was talking about. This is what all the women who had arrived at these places that I had yet to visit were talking about. And I think that's just a part of getting older. And I talk about it in my book. You never want to hear from someone older. Like, why would you at 25 want to hear about a miscarriage that a 39-year-old have? Why would you at 39 want to hear about menopause? Because in your mind, you're like, I'm never going to get older and that's never going to happen to me. And so in a weird way, I'm kind of in awe that I've, that I've arrived at that place, if that makes any sense. And so I don't know how you balance it. I think you just do. I think like all women, you just grit it. You wake up and you put one foot in front of the other and you do your best to like hydrate <laughs> And it's never enough, but it has to just be enough for you. And just know for everybody here, like your best is probably more than anybody expected. Um, hi. Hi. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, really enjoyed the thanks talk. For, thank you for coming. Um, I, I had a question about your creative process. Oh, okay. Uh, you alluded to it a little bit, but I was wondering about how you approach revision mm. and how that differs between your revision process with your comedy versus how you approach the book. Okay. <clears throat> uh, well, you have an editor that you work with. I did write this. There's no ghostwriter. You have an editor, and what's, I, all I ever want is feedback. And in Hollywood, you don't get that. When you don't get an audition, it's like, she's great. We love her. She can't have the gig. We love her so much. And you're like, what could I have done differently? Nothing. You're great. And you're like, okay. Um, Stand-up, it's instant feedback. So I will know because you laughed or you didn't or you murmured, you made a noise and then it's all about how do you process that or I'm like no it's funny you just don't know any better um, <laughs> and sometimes they don't sometimes it is crowd specific you know so that's minute to minute processing that and running those jokes over and over you know what you see on a Netflix special has taken a year to craft and even after you record it I tell the joke differently the next week and I'm like that's what I should have said because it never stops evolving um, and with this it's me constantly asking my editor, like, does this sound weird? Am I not the person, like, who should say this? Is this okay? And hoping that this girl, who's my age also, <laughs> is leading me down the right path. And again, always coming back to a place of, like, will I agree with this in a month? Like, are these words that I will die by, live by? And so, again, it's just, like, you do your best, no harm. And you just hope that what you're saying resonates with enough people that it's okay. So I guess there's that. I guess, I hope that's a good answer. She's like, it's fine. That was a great answer. Thank you so much for coming to this, you guys. This was Thank so fun. Thank you so much for coming, everybody. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you so everybody. Much. Please enjoy the book. Thank you so much.
Bina is a co-production of the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco and KALW. For more information about programs at the JCCSF, you can visit jccsf.org. Today's guest was comedian and actress Eliza Schlesinger, whose new book of essays is All Things Aside. She was joined in conversation by Stephanie Singer. I'm David Kwan, editor and producer of the program. Our theme music is from the album Masada Rock by the Roshanim Trio. And the music you're hearing right now is by John Zorn. Bina is available as a podcast, and you can find it at kalw.org. Thanks for listening.